Welcome to the first ever podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Bohm. This is a show where I ask artists of all kinds about the first experiences in their art form that led them to where they are today. My guest this week is Anthony Green. He's a singer-songwriter, fronts bands like Circus Survive and Seosin. He's He's been a part of a lot of musical projects. Um, it was real nice to spend an evening talking with him about all sorts of first experiences, but especially hearing what it was like to perform live recently that in and of itself is a new kind of uh a new kind of experience um it was a real joy i love anthony this was this is a whole lot of fun and i think you're gonna have a good time hey i'd like to take a second to remind you that i have a patreon you can go over to uh patreon.com slash the first ever patreon if you want to support the show you could also submit questions to upcoming guests and uh, you get to hear those answers in a in a little bit of a bonus segment. So uh, for the people that submitted questions for Anthony, you'll be able to uh, to hear those. Uh, what else is up? Oh, yeah, I have a sponsor. Shout out to Rootless Coffee Company, who is a small batch roaster out of Flint, Michigan, making high end coffee with bags designed by some of the comic industry's rising stars. Collaborating with artists, bands, brands, nonprofits, wrestlers, comedians and more. Rootless is the punk rock gateway to craft coffee. Easy to understand and a delicious roast every time. Listeners get 20% off their order when they use the code HARDTIMES at checkout when they visit rootlesscoffee.com. Any size, any grind, any time. Break free from boring. All right. I appreciate you being here. Uh, This is the first ever podcast, and this is my conversation with Anthony Green. Anthony, thank you so much for uh, giving me some of your time tonight. It's so nice to see you. Yeah, it's nice to see you too. I've I missed you a lot. I've also like I'm honored that you asked me to do it. I was like excited. I, I, I you know, I've seen it that you've been doing it, and I'm like, oh damn, I hope he asked me to do it. Of course, yeah. It's it's hard because you, there's like a there's like a long list of people that I'm like, I know I got to talk to them. Yeah. I know I got to talk to them, and and I try to space it out because. I, the, it's hard to not just pick all band friends. Yeah, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Like I'm trying to have it be like a bunch of different type of artists mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But in my in the heart of my soul, I'm always just like, well, I just want to talk to a, a little, <laughs> like my, the first thing I think of is to talk to, you know, friends like you. So do you listen to podcasts? I, I do not, not, um, not a ton of music podcasts. I listen to a lot of like movie podcasts. Okay. What about you? I, I really don't know much about podcasts. I don't really, I, I've listened to a couple of awesome ones. There's like Rick Rubin does one. And then, um, like I've listened to, I've listened to a couple of them, but I, I like hard for me to pay attention to anything that isn't like about music. You know who, uh, the, uh, Ray Capo has, uh, has one that's like all about like Vedic shit. <laughs> it's all about Whoa. like meditation and like Vedic yoga, and I started listening to that for some reason because it just put me in a good mind. It put me in like a good, like state of mind. 
Yeah, of course. It's called yeah, uh, it's called look, Wisdom of the, I didn't know you did one. It's called Wisdom of the Sages. Wow, that's <laughs> I mean that that kind of says it all right there, yeah. doesn't it? And it's cool cuz he's like uh he's just so he's like such a he's such a character and he's not a, he's not doesn't come off like some kind of guru at all. He just he's like he's like the your brother who you just learn everything from in the coolest way. You know, it's like, Oh, that's cool. awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, so I don't, yeah, I don't know if you've, uh, if you know much about the podcast, but it's like basically based around first experiences, you yeah. know, like, uh, just the humble beginnings and, yeah. and all that sort of stuff. But, um, with someone like you, who's like had such a wild career where you're <laughs> never not doing something. Um, I'm sure that's going to be a topic at some point because you have always been someone that I look at and I'm like, Fuck, I'm lazy. Like, <laughs> there's, there's, there's not a moment when Anthony isn't either recording or on the road. So um, I, it's, it's, this is going to be a fun talk because there's just so much to get into. But um, I want to first quick talk about you just played a couple shows and that's when yes. we just reconnected. Talk to me about playing those shows. Okay, so man, I played a show for uh, Planned Parenthood in, in my hometown that was like very cold. It was for like, you know, 15 people and that was before any of the the shows this last weekend and that was crazy like that was like the first time I ever played and it was almost like I was too nervous like I had like an anxiety attack about it like I was just I was and then uh I, I right after it happened I got really scared and had this like breakdown because I was like, oh shit, what if some other shit happens in the next two days and then we go on lockdown for two years or, or shows go away for another a little bit because, you know, of anything. And I, I, was, and I didn't enjoy it. And I was like too oh, busy no. trying to make sure I sounded good or played the right thing or, or mad at myself for fucking it up. Or ugh, I was just, it, 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 it was like a ter- it was a terrifying thing. And, uh, I, I, I like dealt with it a little bit and um, these shows this past weekend were like one of them was in Jersey it was like a private show for a friend and uh, it was like 30 people there and my two oldest kids came and so it's just like an intimate like house show vibe on this patio like outside in, in New Jersey and it's warm and it's everybody's listening. You know what I mean? Like I, sometimes you play acoustic, you know, and, uh, you just get used to the fact that you're just, you're playing sometimes and people are just having their night, you know, they're enjoying right. their, you know, you, I never want to be that person. I've had those experiences too, where like, uh, you know, where I'm like, uh, get arrogant about it. And I, whatever people do what they want to do. They bought the ticket. They want to talk during your set. Let them talk, you know, just enjoy your, get, make it part of like getting into your zone. You know, that's tr- how I try to look at it these days. But they were all quiet. They were listening to every word. And I felt like I was on the edge of my seat, too. And there was all this new stuff happening, and I was trying new songs. And it was, oh, man, I feel like I talk about stuff like this a lot. But it was, it was moving. I felt different afterwards. I yeah. talked to everybody that was there. And then me and my, my kids drove halfway to Syracuse. And the next day we did it again. But it was like a bigger spot outside. Um, but... It was just again. It was like my my one child is selling merch. The other one is on stage with me, just like watching the show, like recording it with its phone, just like making sure it's cool, like taking their position there, you know, on the team seriously. And the the people who were at the shows were 
as excited as I, I was to be around live music. And again, it was like, they were just quiet. They were like listening, you know? Uh, and oh man, it felt, it felt like, uh, like a lot like the first couple times I can remember playing, but, but, but without like that anxiety that sort of ruins it for you where you're the uh, self-conscious anxiety, you know, uh, yeah. everybody it's, it's was like there. You was... know that you're capable of performing. Yeah. It's so, so you have that yeah. on your side, but because everyone's been away from, from it as long as they have, and people are just even getting used to how to behave socially yeah. anymore. All of these things I think are in everybody's head. So like in a way, everybody collectively is a little bit anxious yeah but at the same time as soon as the music starts there's that comfort where you're like oh this is what i miss this I, is what i like I talked to people before i played each of the times yeah. instead of like being back in the green room or whatever i was out talking and then i would play and i just felt like very much like uh like everybody was aware that this was something that wasn't about like me being special or anything that I was doing. It was like, yo, what's about to happen is something we all collectively enjoy and we all collectively take part in. And it was like the absence of it made the 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 sudden presence of it like just like more sacred than I think. And it always has been. And I think people like me and you can relate to that where it's like almost a next level than some norm, normal people might appreciate different types of music or or art or whatever uh maybe too much you know what i mean who knows however it works but fuck man like i was just in every moment of it just felt like you know i wasn't it, there was a forgiving feeling like everybody was there and me for even for myself just like hey this doesn't need to be perfect this just you just need to enjoy this and take ever and take it in because you never know tomorrow there could be some thing where everybody needs to take care of themselves and take care of each other by staying in and we need to figure out a new way and yeah man it's you i think are the first friend you've got you've got to be the first friend that i know that like not only has been able to perform now but like did a few shows in a row you know and it's just like we are all living vicariously like through the friends we're getting to see do this so like when watching watching your travel watching it happen i was like man i'm I feel so good for him and i'm feeling so good about getting to hopefully get out there and do that you know in the, yeah. in the fall we have a tour book now in the fall we haven't yeah. announced it yet or whatever but i'm i'm so excited yeah for when eventually it's gonna come you know yeah you know circa plays um riot fest in september and I'm I'm booking more shows like the one I the ones I did like outside, you know. And I think that in in the fall and the winter we're gonna start going in, indoors, you know, a little bit more. And yeah, it's fucking weird, man. Yeah, how's uh? I mean, I know it's like a. I feel like at this point it's just always such a loaded question. But did uh did you did you and your family who've it's very obvious how close you all are. Like, did you find any sort of like extra bonding during this last year being so home uh like being just like stuck home together yeah i mean so obviously there you know i probably wouldn't have answered this question the same had i not had the in the the pandemic happen and intention like you know it made me slow down but i always yeah. thought that i was pretty on point with their lives like as human beings like oh, i'm in touch with them even when i'm away i'm calling and when i'm when I'm there, I'm trying to be as fully present. I've had issues too, where it's like, you know, uh, you know, my, my definition of being fully present has changed, you know, where I was like, maybe I wasn't as present as I should have been, you know, self-medicating, whatever, throughout the years. So when I was home 
and had the ability to also be in therapy full time with a with a person and take care. Uh, I I was noticing that like I really wasn't as clued in with what was going on with them and their personalities and how and the different things. I I think I told myself the story to make myself feel better about what I did, but um, it made me realize that I I needed more of a balance where I, I I was more. I think that I just never I never would have forced the slowdown of touring you know it was just it always being there it's like well I need to do it I, there's so many of them and we need to feed <laughs> them and we need to have insurance ourselves and we need to do stuff and um, I almost like used it as a, as, a, as a shield you know it was like it's a it was creating a, a problem that it was also like like mysteriously supposed to solve you know right and it's it's interesting too. It's, a, it's an interesting dynamic because like I, I come from a uh, I'm like a child of divorce. Are, did you were you folks together when you were growing up? They were in a way. <laughs> in a way, they were sure. like in the, in the say, Roman Catholic way where they wanted to kill even, each other all the time. They were in the same house, but it was like war. Oh, okay. Well, that's not fun. Because mm-hmm. um, what I was going to say was like, there's always the my dad is not who some it's like we didn't live with my dad but he would come by you know he was always kind of like he never he was never a dis- di- uh, disciplined person it was just more like he was there to take us out for pizza once a week and you know do his do his thing yeah. and i'm not saying that's who you are but what i'm saying is like you feel like you're you're you probably wouldn't have noticed because you're still enjoying all the fun times no. when you're home and when you're talking to them and stuff like that but it's like because you're not there 100 you know 24 hours it's like that's when you're like, I also, oh, I, am I also thought that my job was like, I thought that I just think I was smoke screened from it. Like they don't care if you're like going off with a briefcase and a suit and tie, or if you're going off with a guitar and a microphone, you know, playing in a tour, like they don't get to see you. That's it. Yeah. Like does it. Yeah. And that's cool that they can be like, oh yeah, that you love what you do. That's awesome. But like, I still want to see you you know, and yeah. be with you and be, and feel like, you know, I, I felt like, and this sounds sad, but I realized after the, after I'd been home for a little bit that I didn't think I did a good enough job at letting them know, ha, ha, like, like letting them know that they were supported by me, like in emotionally in a way where it was like, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm there. Like you were saying, I, I became that like, yeah, I'm home from tour and I'll, you got what you got when you can get it. And you know, like, um, as they're growing up, like, I need to be there more, you know, and I need to be there in a way where not just I'm physically there, but that they feel like they can come to me when there's a problem. So they're not like, oh, I don't, you know, I don't want my, you know, uh, you know, don't keep it to themselves, you know, or they're worried about me getting mad or worried about me getting scared or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I see that. I I see that happening now with them getting older where I'm like, like, I didn't want to tell you. I'm like, why? I don't yell at you. Like, like, I mean, I'm like, why? Like, why didn't you want to tell me? Like, oh, I was afraid you were going to be mad. Like, oh shit. Like that, that, that's what I, I was like that. I felt that way too. And I thought that I was doing this job that was going to be different. Like, so my, they wouldn't, you know, be afraid to tell me things. So. Right. Right. Well, Hey, you know, so it's, uh, it, it always feels bad to even be like, Hey, you know, there's silver linings to 2020, you know, but Dude, there are, you know, I just these, said these this important things. I was just talking to this other parent about this where I was like, yeah, anytime I'm like, yeah, well there, you know, thank God for it though. Somebody's like, yeah, well my grandma died and I'm like, <laughs> yeah, dude, I know. I'm sorry. I, I got closer to my cousin when my grandma died. Like that's the type of way I'm looking at it. Like yeah. I'm not trying to say that. They're like, I'm just trying 
to counterbalance the the negativity a little bit by looking at shit. But there's always somebody that yeah. wants to do that to you too, where it's like, dude, I'm not <laughs> negating, I'm not negating the awfulness of it by saying that, yeah. you know, there's some there's a piece of uh, something that to learn from in there. Totally, one hundred percent. Um, well, I'm, I'm, I'm so happy for you. And, uh, you know, I, f- I also feel like with, you know, some of the people in your band now that they're all parents too, it's like, yeah. everybody's got to have this, this now everybody's going to understand completely like, oh yeah, we got to be a little more present, you yeah. know, like now everybody's going to understand completely. Yes. Yeah, it's, yeah. I think it's been, been good for me. I honestly, dude, I've never felt, and this sounds crazy, but I've never felt more, um, like I was in the right lane in my I don't know what the you know how to put it or whatever but uh yeah feeling like I'm just discovering new ways of uh of living my life that are gonna like help me in the long run just do what I need to do being a good dad make good music you know stuff like that well you're doing a swell job my friend I'm gonna (laughs) I'm telling you that I'm telling you that right now um cool well yeah let's uh let's let's go back in time a little bit I, I don't know if I realized that we're so close in uh, in not only age, but you know, birthday and all that sort of stuff. How old I'm are April six. You? You're April fifteenth. Yeah. And you're you're eighty. You're uh, you're eighty two. Yeah. I'm eighty three. No. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're. I didn't know we were that close. Me neither. Um, you look so which is funny young. I, I feel like I've said happy birthday to you before. Yeah, but you have. But I can't remember things too, like after things like like birthdays and stuff like, like, like things like that. Like they, I. I have I remember like my first kid's birthday and then every, all their other birthdays I'm just like I don't remember anything else sorry they jumble <laughs> they're numb they're... Uh, but so you're you're born and raised in uh, in Doylestown right yep yeah yeah um well no so a... I was born and raised in, uh, in Holland Pennsylvania technically which is like 25 minutes away from Doylestown but stone's throw away in a little town just another uh, it was like suburban thumbprint of suburban you know sh- shithole where there's nothing and there's little strip malls and there's got it you know. well i was curious like what was the um do you remember the first experience that you had connecting with music you know like something that like felt like it was yours i had uh older brothers i was the youngest of four boys oh, and wow. uh they all had very eclectic tastes and my like my oldest brother mike liked punk and metal he liked like minor threat and uh, Metallica, and like he just he had all he liked all sorts of crazy shit, and got me into like Nirvana. He was like that brother. And yeah. then uh, I had other brothers that were like really into like REM and like New Order. And I remember my brother John listening to a lot of like Madonna, and uh, like listening to really getting into like Madonna and like Whitney Houston, and, like Cyndi Lauper and stuff like that in, in the eighties, um, and like early nineties. But I loved Michael Jackson when I was a little kid. I was like obsessed with him. Same. So honestly, <laughs> I had same. A glove. It's, it's weird, you know. Obviously, now it's 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 it feels a little dark. But it's a little uh, weird. I was the same thing, man. Like I had a little I had a little denim jacket with full yeah. of buttons, and I thought it was in the bad music I, video. I had you the, know? I had a jacket that was like trying to be like that. Obviously, no. Like, you ever see the kids with the leather jacket, like the red leather jacket? And you're like, how the fuck did you get that? It was like yeah, seven thousand dollars. <laughs> But I had a glove, like a like a white glove that my mom like dipped in glitter and stuff. And oh, that's sick. My brothers all went to school like right near my house, and I always remember this like experience of like dancing to Michael Jackson. Like I would do it in my house, 
but I would, my parents were like chaperoning an eighth grade dance and I was the little brother that was there, you know, like, you know, like the first grader, like the, you know, who's just there with my parents. And like, I would start dancing to Michael Jackson songs and there would be like that circle thing would happen where like everybody like, oh shit. And I would be like going crazy in the middle of the circle (laughs) with my glove, just like, you know, like trying to moonwalk, (laughs) like going around and like, um, I remember being like, oh, I like this. Yeah. I yeah, like so that was like lot. the first time you kind of felt like what it felt like to be the center of attention in yeah. a way. Where you're yeah, like, well, I was the okay. youngest, so I, w- I felt like I got a lot of attention anyway. But this was like, ne- I, so maybe I was like, I was like mainlining so much attention that I just, uh, my, <laughs> that my, my tolerance for it was so high that this next level attention was like, <laughs> I need to get up in front of people and dance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, being the being a little brother, you're just you're, that's all you want. Yeah, that's, you know what I'm saying. Like you're you're the youngest. Yeah. You're, you're, you, you want all want their friends. Then what? Yeah. yeah. Oh, we want your little brother to come too. Like that was like my dream. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. Um, when did uh, when did you start playing? Did you like? Were you playing guitar early on, or did that come a little later in your life? There was a guitar in my house that was like I took from my grandma's that was like back in the closet that had like three strings, and I would play with it and like play in front of the mirror with it and play and like um, pretend to be, you know, uh, Kurt Cobain and and stuff. And then uh, I can remember um, begging my parents for a guitar, and my dad took me on vacation. He would go to like Ireland like once a year just to like drink 24 <laughs> seven. And uh, I think my mom was like, you should bring Anthony. And one, and I, we, ca- I came with him and it was, it was fun. And we had a good time. Um, I think I just drank with him <laughs> at like sure. 14, but the guy who owned the place, he would have, he had this jazz band that played every Tuesdays and like Thursdays and their instruments just chilled in the back of this bar, like a back line. Yeah, and uh, I would go behind the curtain during my dad. We would just be in this bar all day, and I would go back there and I would like play the guitar. And the one day, he, the owner found me back there. He was like, "Hey, you want to take that to your room?" <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah." And he let oh, me no have way. the guitar in between the times that they were playing the whole time I was there. Oh, and wow. it was just a it was a it was a Fender Stratocaster. It was all white. It was a lot like the one from Wayne's World. Wayne's World. <laughs> and. Uh, I was just obsessed with it. And there was a Les Paul there too. It was like 1000 trillion. I don't think I could play the Les Paul cause I think I couldn't even get it on my lap. Cause it's it was so, so heavy. heavy. Yeah. They're still too heavy. But then that Christmas or something, I got like one of those PV, like, n- like $99, like practice guitars. And I covered it in s- stickers like Billy Joe. And I was like, fucking, I think one of the first songs I learned how to play was either when I come around or like, or, uh, that, uh, come as you are. Oh, okay. Like, don't, don't, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't, I feel like Come As You Are was a pretty... First song. Pretty pretty early first song, just because it's the da-da-da-da. Yeah, yeah, just... It, it, it was like right that generation's there. Seven Nation Army. Yeah. Now, now yeah. you go to, like, guitar lessons, all kids are learning is Seven Nation Army. Don't, don't, do do Like, even guitar, but... That's um, a great call. That is a great call. Cool. Yeah, it's funny. I was talking... There was someone else who was on the show when we talked about When I Come Around, where it's like, once you... Once you have that, you you've now opened up several different songs that are the same. Cor- like yeah. Glycerin from from yep. Bush is also the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you just play it a little slower, and it's uh, it's a different song now. There's a bunch of songs that are that are that song. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. Um, 
So I'm curious, how long were you in Ireland? Was that like a long trip? It was, uh, I think it was 10 days. I was with my dad. Okay. I have some relatives Was it like Dublin? There. No, so we, it was a ca- County Mayo uh, is out in like, it's, it's way south from Dublin. And it's like oh, okay. out in the sticks. And it's like maybe two hours from this spot where I have relatives that live where it's like they're miles between houses and they're farmers. Yeah. My dad would go out and visit them and it was like a trek to get out there. So we'd go out there and stay a few days. Like, and uh, they had like no electricity. Some of those spots are like running water, but like electricity for a little bit of time. It was like real cool shit, like the experience as a kid. And uh, I was up, I, I remember being over there uh, like right after Kurt Cobain killed himself. It was like 1994, 95, and I went with my dad over there, and I was like a chubby kid. And then like years later, I remember hearing some story about how like Dave Grohl was over, went to Ireland after Kurt Cobain killed himself. It was like, saw some kid on the street in like a t-shirt and I was just like damn dude that's so crazy he was driving around Ireland the same time like the maybe it wasn't the same time or or whatever but I just remember hearing that and just being like damn that's so crazy what the hell was he why did he go over there like what the fuck yeah Um, wow it's funny do you uh I, I feel like people in our age group um you know, that's the first celebrity death where it's like you remember where you are. Yeah, dude. Or like w- what you were doing. Do, do you actually have a memory of like yeah. when you heard? Yeah, I was, I was coming, I come home from baseball practice. I was still in my baseball uniform. And my mom had a, a meal of just macaroni and cheese, like craft macaroni and cheese, like the box. But it was yeah. like, we would just eat that. Like that was like, the, you know, some people's that was like their side. Like that was just our meal sometimes. We would double it up. And I remember sitting down and like getting home and sitting down and like that was on MTV and it was on everywhere. And I had also heard that he had killed himself like a month or so earlier and remember being upset about that. So I remember thinking like that, that it wasn't real when I first heard it for a while. And then I was like in another room of my house when it like really hit me that I was like, holy shit. And it was that day still where I was like, fuck. And I was still in my goddamn baseball uniform. Like this, like, yeah. you know, uh, I like, I remember just being like, uh, I, I was forced to play sports as a kid because my brothers were into sports. And, um, I just remember being like broken, like yeah. broken and, and confused also very confused and like kind of, turning to people to be like wait he killed himself like what like what like what do you, what what tell me about that you know yeah. and nobody had an answer for me nobody right. like yeah. nobody could explain it nobody had a way of it, i think it was like maybe it was like well some people are just sick and that's what just happens and i was like how do you get sick like how did he get like how did that like like, and, it, and I can also remember being explained, well, like, well, like drugs, like mm. he did drugs. So that's what happens. And I was like, oh, fuck, you know, but it didn't spark some mental health conversation in my life. You know, if anything, it made me feel like, uh, like more, uh, in the dark than ever. I could, it's funny. I've never really thought too deeply on that, but, but yeah, I, I don't think anyone had any sort of like helpful conversation with me as a kid it was more just i was stunned i was uh, the neighbors next door were taking us to go get hot dogs and uh we heard it on the radio and i was so sad 
and stunned by it that I yeah. wouldn't get out of the car. I was just like, I'm just Was your here. neighbor sympathetic? Like, was your neighbor the same or were you like sh- not sharing that experience with them? Um, they, I don't think understood what was wrong. Yeah. You know, they were like, oh, he must not feel well. Yeah. Where I was just like sitting in the backseat. Like, I mean, to me, Nirvana was like, probably, yeah. I mean, same to you. Yeah. It was like, that was everything. Yeah, I would take like I would like take Hit Parader and like uh, like Guitar Magazine that would do the and I would take the pictures and I would go to the library and I would make like copies of them like different sizes. Yeah. And then I would make little things where I was like, here's the picture, and then there's the blow up version. Like I was obsessed, bro. And then I would write lyrics in the book that I was pasting those pictures in. Like, oh man, I was and I would like cut up all my clothes and like, oh man. And then before that, I'd liked. I was into punk and like I got into anything my brother was into, but Nirvana like was spoke to me in such a crazy way. It's such a crazy. It was just the right place at the right time, the right type of vibe, and it, I it was like oh this. It was like I found something that understood me. You totally. Know? Well, like more time I've spent with like lyrics and and reading about like uh, and and just uh, you know I remember watching. Like it was, I remember watching an MTV show that they did and just being like, dude, I want to play guitar so bad. Like, I just like <laughs> want to play guitar and I want to be in a band, like watching Pat Smear just like paint the stage with his guitar, just having like losing his mind, you know, like I wanted to know what that was so, so bad. And it was everything. I mean, it was the way they carried themselves in a way where like they, you could tell they didn't give a fuck, yeah. but they were never rude yeah, to yeah. like the person that they were dealing with and that's, that's such a specific balance like, you know what i'm saying it's I, like the I, fuck with the people that are interviewing them, i knew that they were never yes. you never felt like they were being putting anyone down somebody. yeah yeah they were like the ultimate like nerds who got popular and didn't and and didn't know what to do with it that's the way i looked at it i was like these yeah. two and 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 i can i feel like maybe that it wasn't even my concept of it like maybe i could have heard my brothers like talk like that but it just seemed like it seemed like they cared about something but i couldn't figure out what it was and it was it like the music and art itself like was it, it was something i wasn't privy to and the media and MTV and everybody like I was like man they know like there's something going on I want to know what it is because it's obviously not in the in the CD case and it's not like it might not be you know and I I remember I remember I couldn't go to shows man my brother saw them on the on the um utero tour and I remember when Foo Fighters came after that like Foo Fighters were touring and they came to the Trocadero and I think like Mike Watt was playing with them or Mm -hmm. And uh, I wanted to go so bad. And it was right when that record, was right when their self-titled record came out. And it, I loved it so much. And I, I remember watching him, I remember watching them do like a MTV $2 bill show. And they played a, uh, they did an Angry Samoan oh, oh, song oh, yeah, yeah. called Winnebago. And it was so fucking cool. And I was just like, damn. And I was like, dude, there's this band on MTV playing this like straight punk band that would never be played on MTVs. And I'm, I just thought that was so cool, you know? And uh, yeah, I, I just remember being like, dude, I want I want to do that. Like, I want to be involved some way. Right. Yeah. That moment, that mo- that first moment that I had was seeing the uh, the uh, Evenflow music video and watching Eddie Vedder Climb. jump off the balcony. That yeah. for me, as a little kid, I was like, I don't know what that is, but that I need that to be in my life dude, at some point. Let me ask you something. Yeah. First, 
crowd surf. Oh, wow. You, um, it's crazy that it's not just right at the top of my head. I don't know if I... Yeah, well, there's been a lot, and I'm, I'm sure, but like... <laughs> yeah, I, I'll have to really think on that. Do you, do you know yours? Yeah. What was it? It was Rollins Band. Oh, shit. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, my brother took me to some shows, so I got lucky yeah. that way, where he took me to see Rollins Band. My very first concert that wasn't like a VFW basement show was Descendants, Swingin' Unners, and Bouncing Souls at the TLA. And the TLA That's, is like for a little kid, yeah. it's all, you know, you're, you're every, there's not a bad seat in the house. It doesn't right. sound great everywhere. But I was like, I could see the show. And I was, the band is like huge right in front of you. It's like, oh my God, dude. It was fucking like, I can still see it. It was 1,000 feet tall in front of me and shining and seeing their faces. And I can still remember seeing like cave in and converge up close and being like, Holy shit. Just like being so close to the band playing where you're like, oh, and you feel it in your stomach is, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Was that uh, when you were, how far, I mean, forgive my Pennsylvania geography. How far is Doylestown to Philly? Is that like an hour? Could be 45 minutes to an hour, depending. Okay. Got it. So like you, so once you kind of like found you know, punk and hardcore when you were, I'm assuming in your teens, were you just like driving out to Philly? Yeah, often we would to go shows? to, we would go to the church. First time I, I've been, I've been to the church a couple times and to like, wet, like, uh, like the Stalag in 4040 and stuff, which were places in West Philly, like with other people. But when I got my car, I remember I got my first car and I wanted to go see 400 years. Remember that band? Yeah. They were at the church yeah. and I, I remember took me forever to get there. I can't remember who else played, but it was like a sick show. It was like Frodus in like 400 years. Something sick. That sounds about right. Yeah. And like uh, Colin was there and all of this day forward ended up being there. And I drove there with my one friend and we just, all these friends of ours met and we was, and I just, and then on the ride home, I was so lost that I ended up driving around Camden to like two in the morning trying to find my way back to 95 South. No. I couldn't figure out which way. I was dyslexic, so I never knew which way to go. I'm like, south, north, I don't know. And there was no navigation. There was yeah, no, like, cell phones. Yeah, like, I was, like, pulling over and asking people for directions to the highway. Oh, and I, it happened to me almost every time I would try to go to the church. and I get lost or, like, I break down in West Philly. Um, I, man, I used to love driving. I used to love driving, but I would love to go. And I remember going to see Highball to the church and like I saw at the drive-in by accident like pl- open for, for blue tip you know there, oh, wow. and, and there was like 30 yeah, yeah, yeah. people there and it was the I never saw a band I, I it's not true I mean I saw bands go crazy like that and that was something I really loved but I I just I don't know they were something about them they all had this they had these huge this huge afros and they were the wear skin tight jeans and it was just like, oh my god, I fell in love with, with that band immediately. And they got, and yeah. like, I, I feel like there was a moment where they were one of them was in my face. You know what I mean? And I'm like, yeah. and I'm like, kind of scared, you know. And then they're yeah, back yeah, up yeah, on yeah. stage, and like, they, they, yeah. There's few bands that come around that you're like, I know that that like. I don't always know what's cool, but you yeah. look at a band and you're like, I know that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> you Do you remember you? Remember you and I? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's funny. At one point, I wanted to ask you because years ago, 
there was supposed to be a documentary that I was going to do with Vice on the band Seisha when I was, and I think I hit you up yeah. about that because I was trying to get um, people in bands that I were from the East that. Coast that probably grew up going to see those shows. And I was curious, did you actually get to see Seisha play? I, I don't, I don't think so. Because I know, it's funny, that same world though, because didn't Josh from Neil Perry yeah. used to tour with Circa? Yeah, jo- I, I've seen I've seen Neil Perry and Joshua Fit for Battle like, a bunch of times, and I, sure. I, even, I even seen him and Vadim do it, they were like, uh, they did a- Superstitions like, of the Sky? Yeah, I saw one of their shows with like somebody's house where I was like, I it was the coolest thing I'd ever seen in my life. And they were singing, I was like, this is so fucking cool. These guys <laughs> yeah, it's like, then, stars. you know, because jo- Josh started Hot Cross with- I've been trying to Billy fucking from, track him down forever, Station. dude. I haven't found, I haven't been able to find Josh for years. Oh, do you wow. Know, do you know him? Yeah. Have you talked to him? I think we're him? friends on Twitter. I think hit he's him, on Twitter. Dude, hit him up. We'll, hit him we'll up reconnect. for me. He and I lost touch a long time ago. Oh, got it. Um, so, yo, uh, before we can, I mean, we could mm-hmm. probably just end up talking about music all day, but what I wanted to ask was, um, what uh, is, on record, the first band that like I think people associate with you is a band called Audience of One. Is yeah. that was that your very first band you ever were in? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And did that band um, was that like also the first show that you ever played? Was it with that band and also like first time recording both those experiences? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, okay. So the first time I I play, I got a bunch of kids together in my seventh grade class to play. Louie Louie and, uh, and uh, a little Richard song. But I tried to make him punk. Nice. Right. And uh, that was like the first time I played like in an assembly with them. We practiced at school and um, that was kind of cool. But I was kind of, I, I, it was like, that was a good experience of being like, man, you really have to, f-. I could have discouraged me because I was like, you have to find the right people. I like mm-hmm. new kid. They were kids in like the jazz band, like didn't want to play the way I was playing and like, I remember starting, the audience one had a, had a drummer that was really good in the beginning that went to school with us. He was into like Slayer and, Pan, and like Sepultura and he was crazy. But his schedule was like, his parents were like really strict. And so we ended up meeting this guy. I ended up meeting Colin. He was playing for Days Away, filling in for drums for his brother's band. And I was like, yo, you want to play drums with me? He's like, I can't, but I have this guy that can. <clears throat> and he and I, Audience of One was like pretty much him and me and this guy Tommy who I went to um, high school with and we were just trying at first I think we were trying to be like kind of like Spaz and Charles Bronson oh nice and then as I discovered like Sunny Day Real Estate and Get Up Kids and stuff like that I was like <laughs> maybe we can be both you know I remember yeah, hearing, that's a big I remember that's also a big jump. I remember also hearing bands like like that would do both things where there would be like a singy and screamy part and being like, this is like, I remember hearing Caven. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember what song, but it, in the middle of it, there's, it was like, there's this beautiful three, like there's like a melody sung. And I was like, that's sick. Like I wanted to do some shit like that where I could scream and every once in a while sing. And yeah, I, that shit. I know we're talking, we're I'm essentially talking about screamo. Yeah. But exactly. back in the day, like, the, it wasn't the, like the that. Version of it it yeah. wasn't like that back in the day. It was like, seriously, it was like nerdy kids, like who were, uh, who were like really into music and really into like, like art who like wanted to make like weird shit, you know, and copy, Definitely. copy it all other people that were making weird shit. <laughs> right. Right. Um, 
so I know you played in uh, in Zoloft the Rock and Roll Destroyer, and it's yeah. funny that name I always knew because I worked at a record store, and I had met the Thursday guys. I I had befriended them in the early two thousands, yeah. and then so I knew their association with Eyeball Records. And then I know that Zoloft ended up putting out records. That was the yeah. first time I ever heard that band name because it's mm-hmm. a very memorable mm-hmm. band name. You know what I'm saying? Like you, yeah. you hear that and you don't forget it. It's so cool. Um, but uh, explain like that because you were you were an official member, but like you kind of played on certain records. Yeah. Like what is that kind of? So how does that kind of play audi- out? Audience of One was like a band. Like we had a. It was like a three piece, and we would go to this place, Skylight, to record. And the guy, one time I was recording with him, Vince Ratty, who was the like founder of Zoloft, was like, "Yo, you want to be in this band with me? Uh, you can, you know, we'll write songs." And he wrote a bunch of shit and was like, "Will you sing this?" And I was like, "Yeah." And I wrote some stuff with him, but mostly it was like him showing me like this is what I wrote, and you know, you, you know, you could sing it however you want. And I was like, and we would, you know, he pretty much there there was like there's a song called Ode to Madonna, like he wrote all of it. Okay. Every fucking lyric, every melody, and as a kid, I was like, "Whoa!" And he asked me to sing it, so I was singing it in the band, and I, that was my first real band. I would say Zoloff. Audience of One was like the first time, and he recorded us, and I was learning, but it was like, you know, all of it was us just like ripping off of you know you and I and and uh, uh, Cat and Jazz and stuff like that, and Promise yeah. Ring and Braid, like, but poorly, you know. Sure. Uh, Zolo- Zoloff was like a real band. And like they were, and then Eyeball was gonna put it out, and it was like the. I was really young though, when I was in college. I was fucking taking lots of drugs, and I was really experimenting with drugs a lot. And I think I, I was probably insufferable to be around. And so <laughs> after the first record, we did a couple songs, and the, you know, the founder of the band and the other singer, uh, uh, I think we're seeing each other too, and the Lord both felt like it was like, like a toxic situation with somebody who was like taking drugs, you know, hmm. and, and I think I resented them for not being like, Hey man, you got to get some help. They were just like, Hey, we don't want you in the band. And I was like, okay. But then I was really bummed and I yeah. wrote a bunch of songs that ended up becoming stuff that like became solo songs that I still play like a song like baby girl. <laughs> oh wow. Like, but I wrote that song in like when I was like fucking 17 years old, you know, Damn, that's wild. Um, Actually, before we just talking about recording in general, like um, was like the audience of one recording experiences, were those like in an actual studio or were they kind of like more like four tracky? Oh, they were in an actual studio. So I did a bunch of four tracky things before I ever got to a studio. Like anybody that had recording shit, I was down to fuck with. And it was always like I was so amped and then I would get in and be like, you know, like I couldn't like mixing on a four track is so tough, so hard. And then uh, you just never get the drums and the vocals sounding good. You could never get good vo- like I just didn't have anything. I just could never get a good demo. And I had demos, but they were. Just, I, I wish I could find some of those shits. I know some <laughs> shits on YouTube, but um, there's a four song audience of one EP that never got released. That's on YouTube. That's so fucking good. And I've been every once in a while, me and the guy from the label who helped us put it out in Philly talk about like re-releasing it. Is that uh, break even records? Yes. Yeah. What's the story with that label? He put out all of our shit. Like he signed, like he would basically like you, you would sign a thing with him that just said like, Hey, I'm going to put this out and keep and make back whatever I put into it. 
you know, by selling the records. And then everything after that, we split. I feel like that's been the, that was the deal with every label I've dealt with up until Epitaph. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, what this was cool is it was just one dude and it was like, you just, you were in control of everything. Every label was basically this thing, but it was just this glorified thing where they wasted tons of money. Like, I think I can remember getting CDs and uh, like having to sell them to make money for him. And I don't think I ever gave him any money. But I think it's okay now because I think he still presses the one record and sells it all the time. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, yeah. That's, but that's, I couldn't. It's I couldn't, a uh, give and take relationship. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah. Um, I wanted to, it's something that I don't know if you and I ever talked about it, but I've always, I always have been curious of, which I'm sure is all over the internet. And you've taught, you've answered this question a million times. So forgive me for for this, but yeah. um. I remember I was an open hand fan. Like yeah. I was from Orange County. Yep. And then you being from Pennsylvania, how did you meet up with those guys? Because they were all Orange County guys, right? Yeah. So you know the band Days Away was from around here. And they yeah. when they they signed to Fuel by Ramen and were out in California recording uh with I think Neil Avron. And they were hanging out with the starting line guys and like uh like all these other people. And I think some of the Seosin dudes were there and went to Keith who sang for days away and said like, Hey, do you, do you know anybody who can sing like you basically wanting him to sing for the band? Yeah. And, uh, he was like, I mean, I have a friend that's like a lunatic that will quit (laughs) your band and he's, but, uh, he's like, he's a singer. And, uh, I, that, that's how they got my number and started. And they, they sent me the songs and I went into, I don't know, honestly, I, I was, I, I don't, I think I was obsessed with that first Coheed record at the time. Mm-hmm. I was listening to Coheed Engine Down nonstop. And then yeah. I had these instrumentals and I went into the studio one day. I think I did some, I, one day I had studio time with Vince from Zola and he let me go in and record those sales and songs and God help like, like if I wasn't for that, I fucking, I don't know, I would have no fucking career. And I sang, wow. I sang, I did a couple passes over each one of them and then we layered them all up cause I was just making shit up as I went. And that's what made them want me to join the band, those demos. And then I went out there, <clears throat> they made, they asked me to go out there to, to try out for them for, six months before I was like, and I had just gotten out of my first time being in rehab. So I was like, I can't. And they yeah. were so persistent. And at one point I was just like, yo, I'm going to California to, to sing for this band. And I just want to do it. And my parents were like, well, good luck. You know, yeah. don't come to us when you need shit. And I was like, all right, I won't. <laughs> and uh, it was, you know, thank God for it, you know, too. Yeah. Cause it was, it was good experience, but, but I didn't know about open hand. I just knew that uh, these guys were, st- I, I knew of them. I never really listened to their music. I didn't figure out till years later that like literally seven years, the Seosin song, like that riff is a fucking it's, open hand song. It's an open hand song. Yeah, yeah for sure. Like, <laughs> like that, There's a bunch uh, of Seosin songs from that. Like there's a bunch of songs on that EP that are straight up open hand riffs. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. I mean, the, those <laughs> open hand EPs were like, so Incredible. so fucking good but they yeah. were like a mysterious band to me as well because like they're from la but like I, I just never really understood what the deal was um i remember i remember okay go ahead i was say then i remember when the sales city p came out and i remember thinking this is super good 
but it's an and open it hand sounds, song. It sounds like open hand yeah. and coheed. Yes. So I'm I'm fucking this oh, cool. is I'm sign me up. I remember you know? Justin Isham being bummed in the beginning because of like being like, Yeah, they ripped him shit off, but then like years later we saw each other and we nobody gave a shit about anything. I didn't even know. You know, but sure. I, I'm sure I ri- I ripped Claudio off so much on that fucking EP. I mean, it was it was crazy. I, I had no too. problem it admitting it. I was obsessed with I was obsessed with him. You know, I was obsessed with that first Coheed record. Oh my god! Like I listened to it so much, and it made its way in, into that EP a lot. Did you when you first started singing? Did you re- was was what you is like how you sing that high pitch? Is that something that just like instantly came natural to you? Yeah. Because you know you yes you you and Claudio have something similar, but if you a b them you're very different at the same time you know yeah i think that um i always was told that i had a high-pitched voice and i think it you know i i like had a hard time embracing it and when i heard him it was like oh fuck okay he like made me feel okay to to experiment and to to try like to sound like bjork and to try to you know what i mean like yeah yeah it it, it really claudio really did like i think I don't think he gets that credit for the high pitched thing. Like it happened, and it, you know, a lot of people try to emulate him because of that, you know. And they'll say like, "Oh, you're trying to be like this guy or that guy," but we're all trying to just sound like Claudio, you know. That's beautiful. I, I yeah, that's cool to think about him like kind of opening up the gates for people that, you know, maybe self conscious about how they sound or, yeah. or something like that. I, I, there's a great, there's a great interview that brought me comfort once. Um, Matt from the national and Connor Oberst, uh, bright eyes, you know, like they, there's like a, a one on like an artist on artist interview. And, um, at one point Connor talks about how every time he hears, like even still, like when he hears his, his voice back, he's always like, man, I wish I, I, in my head, I thought I, I sounded deeper than that, but my voice is a lot higher than I realized. And it yeah. like, it always makes him feel weird. And I'm like, wow, after like 20 some odd years of, still doing this like you still have that sort of self-consciousness yeah. so it's like it's nice to hear other people say that Dude, you know? I, I remember as a kid people telling me like man your voice is so high and be like no it's not no it's not <laughs> like what do you mean you know like being defensive about yeah. it like it somehow didn't make me like tough or cool or like a dude or whatever i mean all my favorite singers are are, are females you know what i mean like yeah. uh, growing growing up like all the singers i try to emulate the most you know and honestly, you know, singing isn't is something greater than that. You know what I mean? Like, uh, music is something greater than that. It doesn't take that kind of form. You know, it's like it's bigger than us. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, cool. Let's uh, let's uh, we're, we're moseying on here. Um, um, I have like all these notes and all these things. I'm, I'm excited. I love to, it. I can to, tell that you're looking into. at a screen. I'm like, damn, dude, I'm not prepared right now. I'm looking like an empty, an empty ashtray over here. Oh, come on. What would you need to be prepared for? You just need a microphone and your, your smiling face. Um, so it's, I remember when, um, when Circa started, I was psyched because the, so like, uh, I don't know if you know this, but the first touring experience that I ever had was selling merch for Taken. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't I know. I, I did not I'm sure know at that. some point I probably told you that, but like, so I, I had no Nick from Circa for a long time. Like my, literally my first touring experience was like, doing merch on a West Coast tour for them, and I was, like, instantly fell in love. Who like, else was on that tour? This is the life I want. What's that? Who else was on that tour? It was, it was, uh, Taken was supporting Poison the Well. So for me, I was like, oh, here we go. Dude, that's so sick. Yeah, it was, it was uh, Poison the Well, Taken, and, 
a, a band called Autopilot Off. I don't know if you remember that band. Yeah. There was like a, I think like a major label band of like punk guys or something. Mm. I don't know. Um, but, uh, man, those taken I remember, boys are like the, the best people. Yeah. Great people. Absolutely. Great people. Um, and I remember being mesmerized by, uh, Nick Beard's, um, driving without listening to music. Yeah. Was he's, I was, I, I mean, I'm, I'm still not convinced he's not a robot. No, um, I think he is. And he gave me the craziest answer when I asked him what, like at one point, like, cause it was like, we were doing an overnight drive and mm-hmm. it was like two in the morning or something like that. And I was like, of course, uh, the, the, the band was really polite and, you know, offered me the shotgun seat for the overnight drive, <laughs> like, which nobody wants, yeah. but I'm doing merch. I'm just happy to be there. Yeah, yeah. Um, but at one point it's like two in the morning, no music on. And I, and I like look over at Nick and I say, I say, Hey Nick, you know, like you could put music on, man. Like, don't worry about me. Like, you know, whatever, listen to whatever you need to. And he looks at me and he goes, I'm already driving. I don't want to have to like worry about doing something else. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, He's really focused too, like on everything he does. Yeah. He's got a yeah, level of focus that one of a don't kind. understand. Honestly, wouldn't be a band without him. Oh, everyone need every band needs him. Yeah. Like like some uh, people will think like oh, driver, the singer or whatever. No, Beard. Nick Beard yeah. is the literal heart and soul of Circus Survive. Yeah. And there's times also where like he carries like the positive vibe too, where like he, he doesn't fall for too much with absolutism where like something will be bad, but like, well, we'll figure it. You know what I mean? Like he's just the yeah. guy who's like always uh, the, the voice of reason. Right. Right. Uh, love him to death. And I love that and, guy um, so much. So he's, and he's started, building the like, stage. Ex- People don't know he builds the stage. Like he gets up, he unloads, like you could hide. We have loaders sometimes. He loads everything in and out. He's wiring the stage. He's miking the drums. He he is like such an exceptional human being. It's crazy. I, I remember when we toured together, being so blown away watching him. Literally, yeah, like he. Was you ever see him like when you guys drive everything. through Donner Pass? Like I remember driving through the Donner Pass a bunch of times, like so many times. But Beard would be, oh, I don't want to put the chains on. I'm just gonna do it, and then he'd have to get out because we'd get pulled over, you know, on the snowy ass fucking cliff, and then he'd get out and put the chains on in his t-shirt. He never would put on a sweatshirt. <laughs> he'd be, it would be fucking freezing cold, blizzard, and he'd be out there and just like fine, you know. Yeah. And he also didn't eat very much. Like he never ate that much, and then like he would have like a bag of Cheetos, a Snickers bar, and like a Coke. And that would be it. And I'd be, and then he'd be good. You know, that's, that's, that's he, he's definitely fucking, like another, that, that goes in with certain touring people. We have a guy named Matt who we tour with, who's the same way. We're like, you know, he'll have been sleeping in the van and then, you know, we stop to get lunch and then he comes out of the gas station and his like lunch is like uh, a nerd's rope and like a Bob Marley energy drink. And you're just yeah. like, dude, we're, <laughs> you sure you don't want a candy more? necklace, like, no, man, wax, trying. wax lips. You know, fucking <laughs> and gushers. Yep, yep. It's it's impressive. Um, but yeah, so like, so because I knew the Taken guys, then I also had met the This Day Forward guys. Yeah. So um, awesome boys. I became too. closest with Vadim, um, who ended up living out here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, I had met Mike, and I and, and in passing met uh, Brendan and, and Colin and everything like that. So again, when Circus started, I was like so excited just to see all these people doing something new and interesting. And then when yeah. the first record came out. It was like, damn, like 
uh, it's cool to see all of these people come together and then make something so its own thing. And then from there, you know, just like watch the the machine start. You know, yeah. it was it was like such a cool thing. And um, I think I didn't see the band play. Actually, I know the first time I saw you guys play was Jerry's Pizza in Bakersfield. Yeah. Oh, that was a good <laughs> show. I think I know exactly what you're talking about, too. Yeah, I don't I don't know what drove me all the way out there to. I was like, I think was it was it with like just, Emmanuel. Yes, that probably makes sense. Yeah, well, I think Say Anything was supposed to be on that tour. And then they, first day, they bailed uh, because, like, Max had, uh, like, an issue. And sure. then they left, and then we were, like, opening the tour. And then by the third day, we were, like, headlining the tour. It was still on, and it was, like, our tour. And the Say Anything wasn't on it anymore. And it was, like, the f- it was pretty fun. <laughs> it was pretty fun. He's just like, well, we gotta roll with the punches. We were we were literally opening the tour for two hundred bucks a night, and then within a matter of a week, we were headlining all of the shows. Yeah, and it was bizarre because this sh- it was a say anything headlining tour, so we just figured like, oh, the tour's over, and then the promoters were like, we'll still put the shows on. We'll just tell people that you guys are gonna play. Is that cool? And then we did it, and then. I, like somehow Circa ended up headlining and it was like, I was like, whatever, dude. <laughs> Woo! Yeah. It was one of the coolest, coolest experiences. Well, I wanted to ask because of you coming <laughs> off of, you know, that say of EP, which like erupted and blew up and, and everything like that. Um, did you feel when Circa started playing, like what was the first Circa show actually? Like we were, where was that it, at? It was in Virginia, uh, Virginia. At, at Nancy Ray guns the Nancy Ray gun. It was, uh, I think, a place that, like, Engine Down and stuff used to play at a lot. But we were opening for um, Lucero. And, Whoa. Yeah, and the honorary title. I remember seeing that <clears throat> tour of those two bands together on the West Coast. But mm-hmm. that's wild that Circa would have opened that show. Yeah. And uh, the, like, nobody really knew the band, and I was just trying to figure out how to, like, sing in front of people and do that again like I I think that also like I was good at the idea of doing it on the floor like I was the type of person that was like can I not be on stage please like the stage makes me feel uncomfortable but if I'm like on the same level as everybody I can handle it and so like I was always annoyingly like can we bring can we can we sit up on the floor like I was always trying to do that and after a while I watched another people I'm still that person me too (laughs) Don't you get to places where I, dude, you know, even like you go to fest, like hardcore festivals now and it's like, well, they, they set up on the floor. Yeah. <laughs> like we're still a bunch of, in a way, sometimes it feels like it's, it's like a flex. Like, um, there's been times where like, I think that's when I realized that, that Touche had maybe grown bigger than I expected where like we had set up on stage and then the band that was opening was like, we're going to play on the floor. And I was like, they outpunked us. Yeah. They, they did the move. Now, now we're not the punk band anymore. Dude, I remember watching you guys on the Violent Waves tour every night and you would start playing and the whole crowd would just start to go wild. And I remember the first couple nights being like, dude, people are not going to have any energy when we go on stage, you know? But it was like the opposite. Like you got people really going and then like it was like you you set the mood so everybody was dancing and everybody was just going wild all night. I, I know I'm sure you and I have shared that, uh, like I've, I've shared this with you before, but like 
if someone, you know, just quickly was like, tell me right now, what was the favorite, the favorite tour you've ever done? I still say that tour. That tour is so great. It was like, I mean, and I got to say, we, me, I'll take, I'll take responsibility. I didn't know that it would go well for us. Cause yeah. I was still, it's like, to me, I'm like, we're like a fucking hardcore band. Like, yeah. is this going to make sense? And then after the first show, I was like, oh, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Like, especially going after balance and composure before you guys, like it was the perfect meeting of everything. And I also realized like we learned, we got a bunch of, you know, new kids who had never heard us before off that tour. And I remember what it was like to be a young person and see like a very aggressive band that I didn't know and be like, Oh, I don't, like I'm maybe unfamiliar with what this is, but I'm like intrigued by it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like throughout the years, then I met kids who were like, yeah, I saw you on the circuit tour. And then I found death wish records and yep. found converge and all mm-hmm. of this sort of stuff. And like, that's such a cool thing to be that sort of like stepping stone for a lot of kids because yeah. of that tour. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can remember, um, I, I can remember the very first date, uh, of that tour. I think it was at union transfer. Yes. And, uh, yeah, I just remember, I remember uh, watching you and your voice on record is like very powerful and, but live it's like scary. <laughs> and, and as a singer also hearing it, cause you're literally, it's like, if like your, if your vocal cords are a thing, you're murdering them like the whole time and uh they like they're really strong because of it but i can remember hearing you the first time and it was like it was very similar to like the feeling i get when i listen like coalesce when i would just be like dude i've never heard a voice like that my whole fucking life (laughs) and it literally it just it's it's a huge that's a huge compliment it's very cool thank you it's like the yeah Ah, you're you're, the best you're too cool (laughs) <laughs> Real quick, I wanted to ask you when, yeah. um, because Circa did those first two records with Brian McTurnan. Did that mm-hmm. come from, uh, you guys like having hardcore kid background where it was like, okay, you know, he he did Converge records and yeah. stuff like that, and like he's kind of like a, a, a equal vision staple. Like, was that kind of the point? I think Engine. I think Demure was all of us. I think I think it was a mixture of some things, but it was like Demure, like records he did where we were just like, yeah. Oh. He, he, he just, he, everything he did was so cool. And he was one of the first producers that was just like, get, like, was like wanted to work with the band. I think he came to Equal Vision was like, yo. I met him when I was in Seosin, actually. Uh, he came to a Seosin show and was like, yo, I think we could like really fucking make crazy shit. Like a couple little things. And I remember the Seosin dudes thinking like, he had like notes for some songs on the EP. And I think they thought that that sucked. <laughs> like oh he, those were, those songs are perfect you know and um i remember i remember <clears throat> liking him when i met him and thinking he was really cool in seosin and then when circo was looking i was obsessed with that uh that recovery ep oh yeah and so that that and cave in and stuff like that i was like yeah i really just want to work with and he wanted to work with us and it was like oh man such a such a great experience. I think some people went to college, like we went to Brian McTurnan, you know. It's a good quote. Yeah. And then it's funny, I wanted to ask you, so I wanted to ask you about, so you, for Blue Sky Noise, you went to, am I spending, is it David uh, Botchrill? Is that how you say Botchel. it? How do you say it? Botchel. Botchel, okay. Yeah, I don't think you pronounce um, the R. And that's like, 
that's a big rock guy. Like yeah. I looked through his discography today and I was like, holy shit. Yeah. Like from starting with like Peter Gabriel mm -hmm. and then like King Crimson. He'd start talking about, he'd like start talking, yeah. He'd start talking about um, like, you know, uh, Peter Gabriel or like the guy from uh, Silver Chair or like all these people. And you're just like, whoa, holy shit. You know, you're, yeah. you're telling you yours in the same Mike Maynard used and you're like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I was curious, though, because kind of bringing it back to Coheed, I saw he did the good, uh, the uh, good Apollo record mm -hmm. from them. Um, was that like a major label guy kind of like choice of like, Oh, well, you know, this, yeah. this guy had success with Circa. There's something kind of similar here, like vocally, you know, like was that maybe an intent or maybe. does it just kind of like happen I, that way? When we were, when we were with Atlantic, we remember we were doing like looking around for producers and I know that they, they wanted to go to somebody who was like a big producer that was going to make a record that they would be able to have like a big rock song, like alternative rock song. So they were just looking for like anybody that had won. I, I think Botchel, was like a natural pick because he had done Tool and Silverchair and, and they were like, all right, we could fit the band into a mold like that, you know? So I was like, okay, yeah. cool. And that I think that's how those people think, where it's totally. like, oh, okay, well, th yeah, they listen to the band a little bit and they're like, okay, this could fit in a world that's like the world that this band fits into, you know? It's like a little, like, whatever. And then, yeah, they I wasted, mean, dude, it, they spent like half a million dollars on that record. Blue Sky Noise, <laughs> probably, probably more than that. I was going to say, I don't want to side with a major label guy, but in some capacity, I could see being like, okay, if he did like King Crimson and Tool, like a Circus Arrive is like an elevated, yeah, like rock band. You know, it's like there's a lot to it made what sense. The music it made sense to us. It made sense to us too. And I think we yeah. met, we met with a bunch of people and I think that it was basically based on their notes and we sent them a ton of songs and, and his notes were so right on with us. And we were like, this is the guy. You know, we met him a couple of times. We were like, he just was very artist friendly. Like he never sat down and messed with me about my lyrics or anything like that. He was just like kind of a melody chord progression guy. He helped. There was a, you know, he helped. Uh, there was a structurally helped mentally, you know, structurally was a big deal. Yeah. Um, you know, and there was, um, there was a couple of times where I remember just things being like not catchy enough. You know, mm -hmm. and then and then just kind of working on maybe working on something else, you know, but yeah. Was that overall a good experience, though, doing that record? <laughs> yeah, we went into it with them saying like, hey, we want to we want to have, you know, creative freedom. We don't want to get stuck anywhere. Where we, and they, they were they were like, yeah, we don't want you to be, be stuck anywhere. So we I think we worked against our I mean, I worked against my own like my own desire to want to give the major label a good record i wanted to make weird music that could also be popular you know uh to to more people i, I wanted to crack that a little bit um well i mean I, you're a kid who was probably raised i mean who was who was raised on in utero yeah. which is an anti-major label record but you it know, had huge success and I, I i also loved bands like the flaming lips you yeah. know what I mean? And I, I saw the value of like doing something weird, but doing it in a way where it was your way. I, I just, I wanted to see if I could make the thing that I love, you know, and still give it a shot. We all wanted to. And I think it, you know, maybe if we were at a different state in our lives, it would have been more of a fun experience. But I, I definitely, 
I don't think I was blamed the label for any of the bad experience with it. I think that my own pressure of wanting to like be maybe something that I wasn't and like feeling like I want, I needed to like, uh, yeah, like be, be like some, something that I wasn't like I needed to write these songs it was going to be these big songs like the like Bill and Ted you know like I had to write this like I had a major label and I had to (coughs) I wanted to make the band big you know but in secret but but not in secret but it was like it was a tough thing where it was like I didn't really have a good perspective on what I was doing you know my mission was lost to you know uh, my mission now is sort of to just make music that I I enjoy um, that I enjoy the work of it, you know, uh, and, you know, try to make it honest, you know, something I enjoy yeah. and that I, represents me in a true way, you know, uh, well, some, maybe my values are represented in that way. And then to just, I would like to help people and I'd like to be a good dad. Those are my three things. It's my mission. Yeah. And back then I didn't really have that mission in the forefront of my mind. And I think not having that mission and having so much responsibility and so much going on it was, very, it was very confusing. I often think that's the problem with people, uh, with with younger people that have so much going on. Is that uh, you know there's maybe a, there's maybe too much uh, to aim for, and sometimes just whittling it down to be to uh, something you can manage aiming for is, is makes it easier to handle. I would have enjoyed making that record so much more if I if I didn't wasn't worried about trying to uh, to please everybody with it. But what's crazy is when I listen to it now, I'm very happy. Like, there's some songs that I didn't write on the record that, um, you know, like, I felt free and uh, like I shared writing with it uh, that I really love. You know, but when I listen to songs like Get Out or, like, uh, there's a song called Through the Desert and Alone, like, all these fun songs where I'm like, ugh, this was such a fun thing to write, you know. Uh, and I, I think I was losing my mind at the time, and I was, like, suicidal. But when I look back on it now, you know, it was... I needed to go through it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a hell of a record. It's, 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 uh, it's, you know, whenever a band that comes from punk rock goes to a major, you're every, you know, all eyes are on them. You're yeah. like, oh man, what's, what's this going to be like? We wanted to when, make sure we still made good. it cool. Yeah. We wanted to make sure that we weren't going to put something out that we didn't like. So that if yeah. everybody was like, this sucks, we'd be like, whatever. And we love it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. that's the antidote. You know, like as long as you like it, like you truly like it, not like you're good at pretending like you like it. You really like it. it doesn't fucking matter how good it does. <laughs> totally. Straight up. Straight up. Yeah. It's funny. Nick of all. Yeah, back to Nick. He's his. He says every time his favorite record from every band is the is the major label record. Like yeah. the first major label record. That's always his favorite record from yeah. every band. Because it's like it's you can hear. I mean, I, I'm, he doesn't say this, but we've talked about it where it's like you can hear there's expectation put on. Yeah. There's more money invested. There's time. better production than you're going to ever get. Yeah. And it's a culmination of all of those things. And even if it doesn't quote unquote work or it's not successful, you can hear the people putting in the work on yeah. it. And that is an interesting listen, no matter what. I, I remember listening to antenna, not antenna. Yep. Yeah. Antenna. It's a great and it, one. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, I was just like, example. man, this is going to, they're going to be the biggest band in the world. Mm-hmm. Like Haven is going to be the biggest band in the world, and I can remember listening, and st- I still don't understand how they aren't like as big as the Foo Fighters, you know, if not bigger. Like, yeah, um, straight up, they should have been Muse, is what I'm yeah. saying. Oh, and dude, I mean, 
Holy shit, man. Imagine if we had had a caven as muse. Yeah. You know? We'd be it living would... in a utopian society right now if we switch <laughs> those two. That's lit. You switch those two things around, there'd be peace. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, In in 2008 is when you put out your first solo record. Is 2008 kind of the moment when you were like, okay, I'm going to start the balancing act between doing solo, circa, solo, circa, then eventually Seosin, solo, circa, kind of, and then uh, every now and again, Sounds of Animals (laughs) Fighting. I think that at that point, I started to see gaps in touring, and I really liked touring. And I, I also just started to s- have too many songs that Circa wasn't using. Too many songs mm. that I liked playing. And I would always be playing them. And I think I just, I think other people were, I think the Circa boys and a lot of other people were very encouraging. Like, yo, you should just do your own record. And I started seeing the time off in between Circa things as like an opportunity to go play acoustic shows. And I even think I remember... I, I was mega inspired by people like Chris Caraba, you know, back in the day. And like seeing like, oh, you do Further Seems Forever and then ba- Dashboard. And and I liked acoustic. I liked folky music. And I liked, I, I liked the idea of being able to take a guitar and go and not need anything else. And uh, I think back before I'd even started being in bands, I loved this idea and was wanted, the, wanted to do it. And then... Yeah, I, I guess like I sort of got pushed into it, but in a way, I that was such a fun year because um, I think at one point when Circa was starting, it Circa started to get big and and got bigger than I ever thought any band I would ever be in would ever get, and I thought, well, like okay, this is it, like you're here, like this is it, like you. I thought Zoloft, the Rock and Roll Destroyer was it. You know, like that to me, like being on an eyeball re- a record that just having a CD was like it at one point. Like, oh, you know, so it was like, holy shit, man. You've accomplished everything you ever wanted to accomplish. Like, what the fuck? And then to do a record that was like on my own with my own songs and, and have it be like something people liked outside of the main thing, like I felt like it wasn't something I expected to be as cool as it was you know like everybody liked the video and the song and I was like holy shit this is so cool like I actually that might you know that to answer your question there was at some point on that first tour where I was like damn like I am a musician like I'm a, I'm people look to me as that and I I can I can I can show up as that as an artist like, I can say I'm an artist. And I, I think I started to become comfortable with saying well, I'm an artist, you know, and I liked that. You know, people would be like, oh, I'd go home, you know, and my brother's friends would be like, oh, he's the rock star. I'd be like, no, I'm an artist. Rock stars, <laughs> rock stars suck. Like, um, yeah, yeah. I'm cutting my I mean, ear off over here. <laughs> you're, it, it, I don't know you and I have ever personally one-on-one talked about lyrics. Who, who for lyrics are your guys? Like who, who's the, who's the, who's the lyricist that like stand out to you that think, have think, always been kind of like, you know, beacons of, of inspiration. Like you go, you sit down, you don't know what you want to write about. You start reading through lyrics of other people. Who, who are your people? I think of a Bjork, hmm. um, uh, Cedric, Cedric, mm-hmm. Bixler might be the unsung greatest lyricist of our generation. Storytelling, 
in a way that made me pick up a dictionary, in a way that made me go to the library reading Cedric's lyrics. You know, uh, um, it was I, interesting. Yeah. We did that last record with Ross Robinson, and yeah. he's someone who needs to like know every detail about yeah. every lyric. Yeah. You know. Okay. Fuck. And he was like, and he was like, yeah, Cedric would not let me in. Yeah. You know, like he was like he he would not let me in, but it was great. So yeah. I I wasn't gonna fight him on it. Like you know, I don't think that like we could have a whole podcast just talking about Cedric's lyrics. Mm-hmm. Like he, holy shit, yeah. And 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 I I think people like Fiona Apple too. Like Fiona, I remember Fiona Apple, uh, Engine Down. They had great lyrics. Braid yeah. had great lyrics. Um, there's a band called Rocking Horse Winter that I used to love. They were on Equal Vision, right? Yeah, the yeah. Equal Vision band, great lyrics. I used to love 10,000 Maniacs and like Natalie uh, Merchant. Yo. Uh, what, what was the one hit? Uh, um, the, uh, the Night Belongs to Lovers. Oh, what a song. Yeah. Fuck. Yo, you should, cover, you should cover that song. Yeah, maybe I will. All right, I'll make it. Let's, maybe, we, maybe we should do it together. <laughs> we could, maybe we can make like a touche Anthony Green mashup. Boy, I mean, because. I don't know what good I'm going to bring to that cover. I'm going to be honest, but... <laughs> low octave. You could do a low octave harmony. Okay, there you go. There you go. Because the night belongs to love. You could do that. <laughs> True. We could pull, pull out secret voice. <laughs> well, we could wrap up the show with, okay. uh, with what I think you might have just even del- uh, dipped in on, which is... Um, you know, talking about when you were doing the solo, the, the first solo record, yeah. but um, do you remember the first time where it felt like you were doing the thing that you had been, you know, working so hard towards? Yeah, um, I do. It was it was quite recently, actually. It was I had all of my kids in Baltimore at the end of a circa run, and my oldest son wanted to crowd surf, and <laughs> I was terrified of it. But then Brad Clifford, our um, guitar tech, and a couple other people were like, yo, we'll go in the crowd, and we're going to make sure he's okay. And then we played the last song. They came up and danced. They crowd surfed. A bunch of, like, my, like, th- like two of my kids jumped in there, and they did it, and it was funny. And at the end of the night, I was sitting with them, and the band was off doing something else. It was after the show, we went back in the room and I'm just decompressing. After the show, I'm I'm quite insane for a little while. Like, just not... I usually have to decompress away from everybody, but I'm sitting there and I'm like sitting with my, my kids who are just shirts off, like sweaty, and they're talking about the show. Like, did you see this? Like, did you see when I did this? Like, oh my God, did you hear the one time? And did you see when Uncle Brendan like did the thing? And I'm sitting there watching them and I, I, I got overwhelmed, and I was, I was crying. I started crying, and that's not like a, it's not an uncommon thing. I get moved sometimes. I'll be crying. I'm in the elevator. I hear a, I hear a Cindy Lauper song, and I start crying. You know, uh, but I was crying, and I was crying because I, I felt like I felt like at that moment that if I if I just like disappeared that I would have left a good impression for my children. And they would have been like, damn, my dad cared about us so much. And he wanted to give me good, wanted to give us good experiences. And he made us like a part of his life. And like, 
I just felt so intertwined with them and the then music and they were like so it was everything I ever cared about the most all together and and harmony with one another. Yeah. And that's I remember, beautiful. I remember that thinking like, damn man, that's this is this is cool. This is cool. Yeah. I got I gotta stay on this gotta stay in this lane. Yeah. Oh that's great. I love that. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much, Anthony. This love was you, uh, dude. it was great talking to you. It's always great talking to you. I can't wait to see you and give you a big hug and kiss. Yeah, that's our show. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. Thank you to Anthony Green for coming on. And uh, if you got a sec, head on over to uh, the Patreon. That's uh, patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon if you want to support the show. Other ways you can support the show are subscribing if you haven't done that yet or rating and reviewing it over at uh, Apple, Apple Podcasts. All right, I'll see you next Wednesday for part one of a two-part episode. First ever two-part episode. All right, take care of yourself. Bye-bye.